that electric moment when a ball hits the back of the net. Unbelievable game. Two great teams going at it. Compared to the other three beside him, he just looks like the new cafe or something. We are making a documentary about how shit our club is. <laughs> VR is bullshit. Who is the biggest cheater in football at the moment? Harry Kane, without a fucking doubt. Without a fucking doubt. <laughs> Stop laughing. Good evening. Uh, welcome to the Football Babble. Uh, I think the United Kingdom has their 15th Prime Minister this season. They're going through Prime Ministers quicker than uh, Premier League clubs genuinely do, do uh, through managers, which is some going. Um, Fishy Rishi is in. The new dawn, new era. But we still have Overlord Arsenal leading the Premier League title, despite uh, starting to look like they might be battling it, but we didn't want to say it too loud in front of Jonathan. Um, we'll get into that first. It's myself, Phil, and back from last week's hiatus, uh, where basically I was told that <laughs> whatever time it was, like half six, I had to go to my mother's house and do an electric reading. There you go. When your mother says jump, you just say hi, hi. So I missed out last week. I'm back. Brenton's not here tonight. He's away training. Uh, Steve's on the pod, obviously. JD is here, Cousin Mud, to talk about the Arsenal. And Patrick's here to, unfortunately, talk about Liverpool. Patrick, God love you, because they're shit. Um, and we're going to get into it. Now, Johnny has to leave because Johnny uh, is a pe- he's a peacekeeper, folks. He's keeping the peace. Until, of course, he finds out that some of them support Spurs and then he'll probably leave them behind in America. But we'll not get that. Um, Johnny, project, we'll, <laughs> we'll get on to um, the, the Mary Arsenal um, and the weekend. I'll let you get your, your moment in first. And, and I'm sure Patrick and Stephen will have some comments down the line on this. Yesterday, Arsenal have been flying, going for, I think it was, wasn't was 10 in a row, but it was 10 wins out of 11, possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and came a little bit unstuck at St Mary's. They look knackered. They really did. They look knackered. I mean, they should have put the game to bed. I, I know I, I blame the referees. The referee was terrible. But I mean, we should have made the referee's decisions just not important because Jesus had a great chance in the second half, a few minutes actually before Southampton got the equaliser to uh, put the game to bed. Odegaard in the first half had a great chance. I mean, it's one of those days... Um, and it's showing when you don't have strength and depth, I suppose, that it really catches up with you when you have three games in a week. Because um, they had a, a tough game on Thursday night against PSV, where Arteta played most of the regular starters. Um, I don't know, I think he needs a bit more rotation because you can't continue to play the same 11 all season. It's just someone's going to blow an eight-cap up or something. Um, and I'm sure every one of these have your preferred player. You wish their kneecaps play up in the Arsenal team, but we're not getting that. Yeah. Um, the referee was terrible. He was absolutely horrendous. Um, we should have had a penalty. Saka got booked for fuck all, but whatever. And uh, Southampton should have been down to 10 men, probably very early in the game, but it is what it is. Like, I mean, the only shining light of this weekend is everybody else that will be going for Champions League with us, apart from Manchester City of course, drop points um, so we just go again I mean I'll be honest, that was more frustrating yesterday than losing that game to Man United, I just was fucking pissed off because I felt like if we just had 
put away one of those chances. The game was dead. Southampton were off their feet. I mean, first five, ten minutes, Arsenal absolutely pulled them about the pitch, played fantastic, and then tiredness kicked in. It was very, very obvious, but it is what it is. We are still in a good position. Still, I think the gap between ourselves and fifth is maybe 10 points, 11 points or something. So still a good gap there. We just need to keep going. And that's really it. Go on ahead. You can now say how we're bottling the league. Go for it. I think <laughs> we don't need to spend too much time on the Arsenal game because there were bigger games of the weekend, I suppose. But go go for it. Just before, um, even though Steve and Paddy are mute, I can hear Steve. Uh, just before they come in, like you, you, the point you made on uh, rotation, uh, we had spoke about this beforehand. Like, mm-hmm. Is there a chance, though, like the uh, for Arsenal, who, what, who would they rotate? Like, what would you want to be seeing? Because uh, PSV aren't, aren't mugs, so he had does he play strong enough side? And there is only like, was mm-hmm. it four or five games until uh, the World Cup starts? So, like, yeah. what would you want to see rotation wise? I think we need to see Saka have a bit of a rest. He's just, he's played nearly every minute of the season. And I mean, there are players that can come in and play that role. I mean, there's um, Marquinhos, who's showing he's a decent enough player. Like, you can. He can do damage. If it's not working out, then... I mean, all Arsenal need to do is get a draw against PSV on Thursday and to finish top. Uh, that prevents us having to play extra games in January as well. So I suppose Arteta will have that in mind. But we're, I'd say if we don't rotate soon, we're going to get a big injury to somebody we don't want injured. And if it's either Saka or Martinelli, who... I thought Arteta made a mistake bringing off yesterday because he was absolutely turned up. Southampton's right back could not handle him. Um, yeah, there needs to be something. Like Fabio Vieira can play Europa League for Martin Odegaard. He doesn't need to be starting those games. Kieran Tierney needs minutes. I mean, Gabriel and Saliba uh, both looked pretty tired yesterday. Uh, you know, bring Rob Bolding in there, get him games. It's um, they, need to, they, need to, they need to bring somebody in in January. Definitely, there needs to be players added. Otherwise, you just—I don't think we're gonna—I don't think we're gonna drop out of the Champions League spots. I mean, if they're—if I don't really think anybody really in their right mind is serious about Arsenal really challenging Man City for the league long term. Like, but just to ensure that they finish those Champions League spots, they need to bring in a wee bit of extra depth. That's—that's that's just what I think anyway. Because you can see the tiredness is really starting to kick in, and October has been a big month. There's been so many games so far in October for Arsenal. And it's going to get even busier here just before the World Cup kicks off. So we need to make sure they get as many points as possible before that kicks in. Paddy, what do you think? This week's dose of pessimism from JD. I want them to sing up Arsenal's chances. I really, I really think Arsenal are, are good. Like they're bottlers, but it's clear they've got a great eleven. I think they found themselves unlucky yesterday. Like I think that the chances, chances to win it. Um, Although kind of what Jetty's mentioned before, like squad depth wise, um, I was looking at the bench there. Like these aren't terrible players, but they're not like they're, it's not like Man City's bench or United's bench or Chelsea's bench. Like you have holding on the bench Cedric Suarez, who's been past his best for a good while. You know, Reese Nelson, who's never really maybe quite reached the potential he showed at the start. Their sub goalkeepers called Matt Turner. No one's ever going to be a superstar if they're called Matt Turner. And then uh, in, in Matt Turner's defence, he's actually been pretty good in Europe League. But that's all. That's all you. That's all you need someone like Matt Turner for is to play those games. He's never going to play 
Premier League unless Ramsdale does get injured, you know. You're, I mean, you're right about Reese Nelson as well. Never lived up to his potential. Um, I mean, like, you know, I look at a lot of teams' benches. Like, I mean, I looked at Man City's and thought, there's a, there's game winners there, there's game changers, you know, that they rotate all the time. Either Mares and Grealish be on the bench or Bernardo Silva or Foden or whatever. I think Foden was actually on the bench this week. Um, and they just have those wee bit of extra quality, I suppose, but that's, that's what's going to probably win them the league because they can, like on the weekend, rest Phil Foden. Um, so it, it obviously does make a big difference, but, you know, Arsenal's starting 11 can go toe-to-toe with anybody in the league and fully confident on that now. Like, you know, Ben White's is a fantastic player and, you know, they've talked about who are England going to play at right back at the World Cup. I mean, it should be him. He's been immense all season and hasn't even got a sniff from England, but that's Gareth Southgate for you, isn't it, really? You know, he doesn't pick players on form. He picks them on, I suppose, reputation and things like that there, but it's... People, like you say, you want me to oh, how Arsenal are going to win the league. Like, they're not going to win the league. Like, you know, I've said that from day that. Like, we're not going to win it. Like, um, it's nice being well, where we hang are. Hang on, stop, 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 stop. What was, what was that noise you just made? Like, you just, like, I think I, I think your soul is left. I, oh, here, <laughs> down. My, my soul <laughs> left me many years ago, Phil. It's only started to return. <laughs> Jerry, would you take fourth if someone offered it to you now? Are you that yeah, pessimistic? Well, well, I mean, force and improvement from last year. Like, I suppose if Arsenal finished fourth, sitting where they are now, people would say, you know, it's a bit of a failure. But I mean, it's not in a way. Like you're back in the top tier of European football. Like, um, I think fourth or in the top four was the aim at the start of the season. So I mean, you just you just have to take it. Like, I mean, when I watched that Man United Chelsea game, for example, at the weekend, I kind of thought, fucking hell. At the moment, I feel like it could be either the two of them teams because they're. It wasn't a great game. Um, a couple of my mates who sport United think they should have won the game. Don't know about that. Like um, the only thing I took away from that game was a bombing absolutely blew the hell out of Baran's leg. Whatever happened there was um, not a great game for the neutrals. That one, like, but yeah, I, I'll take fourth. Like, but um, where we're set up at the moment, you would like to think Arsenal could be finished a bit higher than fourth. But, Things can yeah. change. It's still, it's still in October. Like, so. I've got a good chance. They never know. They've a good chance. They've had such a good start. And as you said, their 11 is great. See, we, I was just thinking, we never really mentioned Southampton on the show. Um, they they have a really weird weird season. And, you know, it looks like they're probably going to struggle. But their recruitment has been really interesting. Like, I think they're trying to turn themselves into a wee kind of um, English version of Dortmund. Just sort of hoovering up really talented guys who are sort of between 18 and 20 like it's mm-hmm. it's risky but you never know like even if they're selling some of these guys on for massive profits the way Dortmund do like <clears throat> Bazunu's 20 the up big guy Bella Kotschup the German defender I think he's been called up to the German squad he has he's yep. young as anything and then they just took um three players from Man City um one on La- one Lavia Dozi Larios yeah. I'm sure they've buyback clauses but like it's a, it's an interesting kind of recruitment policy, um, with a bit of sprinkling of some sort of more experienced heads like you know Jim Ford Price and Stuart Armstrong and stuff. But um, Theo, yeah. Theo, I know. I actually, just as well you mentioned that, I couldn't believe it. I was listening on the radio at the time. Uh, I was on the way to the shop and heard that Walcott come on. I forgot he even played football anymore. <laughs> that's his um, first game all season. I think he he's had a bad injury or something. That's why he's been out for so long. So, uh, 
Yeah, I was, I was fully we're expecting we're him to score the winner yesterday when he came on. I was like, it's just written in the stars, isn't it? Like, <laughs> and he had a good chance actually to score. I think fuck, he missed it. But yeah, everybody was going to jump on top of Arsenal as soon as they dropped points. Like it was, it was inevitable. Like it was going to happen. Um, but you know, we are where we are. We just got to keep going. Like the only, the only good thing for us this year is that everybody else sort of around us, apart from Man City, has been so inconsistent. Like I thought Liverpool were a dead circle on Saturday just because. Nottingham Forest got a bio win. Um, Chelsea United to draw, sitting dust down to the bone, and then Newcastle with a great result yesterday evening as well. Like, so, um, it's it's been a very strange league this year so far. Um, very strange. Stephen, come in. What do you make of sort of the move? We'll finish up Arsenal, and then we'll move. We'll move on to Manchester United and Chelsea. Um, but what did you make of Arsenal at the weekend? And, and are you buying Johnny's pessimism? Um, I understand his pessimism. I'm not buying his squad rotation. Um, I, I, I think because Arsenal have used 21 players in the league this year, and so have City. There, there's not a huge difference in terms of like the quality of players that City can bring in. I'll absolutely give Johnny that. But in terms of the numbers, I think City are are, are pretty set. I think City have actually more players with a thousand minutes of football than than any other team. Um, but I do think it, it, it's funny because like in theory, we should all want Arsenal to win the league this year. Cause if you want a team that's not Newcastle to break up the, the kind of established top two of the last few years or whatever. And yet Danny's right. Like for some weird, <laughs> for some weird reason, like people have been just waiting for, uh, for Arsenal to drop points. I don't understand that. I actually, I quite like Arsenal. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing them win the league. I think there's probably a hangover there for United fans of a certain age of the, the Wenger-Ferguson kind of rivalry, so I, I do understand that. But, like, I don't know how anyone... Like, in a, in a league that does look like it's going to come down to, like, Arsenal and City, and Johnny can talk it down all he wants, but that's what it's going to come down to because I don't see the threat coming from any other team. Um, everyone who's not a City fan should be, should be wanting Arsenal to win the league. Um... So that 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 to me is weird, um, and I think maybe some of it is down to you know the fact that like Mikel Arteta is just a handsome Brendan Rodgers. Um, Even come on, well, come he, on. He, he's a fucking weirdo. Like he's an absolute weirdo. Like, but like doesn't mean he's a bad coach. But like some of the stuff that he pulls, as we saw in the in in the the Amazon documentary and things like that, and. You know, you have to worry about how much stock he puts in Pep patting him on the head as well. Um, I think that's probably going to be the bigger worry for Arsenal. I don't, th- I, I don't buy the, Ars- uh, the 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 explanation that Arsenal are not in this title race, and that's not just to to slag Johnny. Like they legitimately are in the title. Even City, like City, haven't been great. Like they really weren't good against against Liverpool. Um, obviously, they completely dominated United, but like. They they have the potential to drop points this year in a way that I don't think we've seen them have for for a few seasons. Um, so I I still think Arsenal are very much in this no matter how much Johnny wants to play it down. I think it's I think it's because obviously, like we we're going from Jesus like last year our start of the season and then you know fighting with Spurs for top four and like over the last couple of seasons it's been like two eighth place finishes you know. To go from that to being top of the table at the end of October is a very 
strange experience for Arsenal fans at the moment. Um, and like you said, certain fans of a certain age, like obviously when I was growing up, Arsenal were challenging for the league, but they haven't done that for many years. So to be in the position they are now, you have to be a bit pessimistic, like but we're we're not gonna go with the full the full way, you know, especially against a team who can go out in January and spend another hundred million on whoever they want or whoever's been the shining star at the Qatar World Cup. You know, it's it's hard to compete with that, and th- that's why I kind of feel like I think we're kidding ourselves. I think we're actually going to do it. I get what you mean. There are going to be certain fans out there that you know pull like that Wenger and Fergie area, like no way they ever want to see Arsenal in the league. And I suppose it's the same thing. Like everybody knows a Man United fan or an Arsenal fan or Liverpool or whatever. Who the fuck knows a Man City fan? Honestly, over here, like they're non-existent. Now I have started seeing some kids, very young kids, wearing Man City shirts. That's obviously because they're the you know top team in the minute and they're winning the leagues or whatever. Like, but I don't think anybody really gives a shit if Man City win the league because there's nobody that we know already sports Man City that's gonna you know be able to banter us or whatever. Like, it's they're totally just irrelevant in my opinion, and I think that's why probably people would rather see Man City win the league over Arsenal. But I get I get your point of why some fans you're saying would want to see Arsenal win the league over over Man City. Mm. Do you think part of the? No, I'm sorry for taking over from you, Phil. There for a second, but I'm just I find this interesting because obviously it's a long time since United were in this position. But do you think that it's because you haven't played Chelsea and you haven't played City yet that there's still that you're not quite sure how good you are? Not that Chelsea are world beaters by any means, like but like you obviously had a really good win over Liverpool, a really good win over Spurs. Does that not give Arsenal fans confidence that yeah, we can actually we can live with? you know with City and with this league I'll tell you the truth I'm actually more worried about playing Newcastle than Chelsea at the current moment because I've seen Chelsea the other night and thought the only way they're going to win a game is by penalties or by getting the Bamiang literally two yards from goal to top it in he's Bamiang showed me the other night exactly why Arsenal got rid of him Um, but yeah like if we were meant to play Man City last week God knows where that would have went so suppose you're right in a way we haven't really played City yet and we have to go away to Chelsea here in two weeks so I suppose we'll see or we're like sitting at that stage but I don't think we're going to play a Man City we'll play a Man City twice in the new year obviously because that can be rearranged it's it's hard to know like you know it would be lovely if we could go on in the league I just feel against this Man City team with Erling Haaland scoring goals just for the crack you know he scored more goals already than Harry Kane did last season you know, and it's just, he's just a freak. He's an absolute freak of nature. But if we can win the league, I think I might just do a fill and run the streets nude. You know, I don't know. I don't think anybody want to see that, but I do. <laughs> well, please don't. Uh, trust me, you, you'll regret it. Sounds kind of Speaking from experience. Patrick, I heard what you said there as well, you freak. Um, <laughs> Johnny, I think we've tortured you enough for 20 minutes. I know you have to go on now. And, and real wee, wee peacekeeper, so you are. Just so proud of you. Just a real wee peacekeeper. Um, go off to your duties until, obviously, as I said, you find out some of them sports bars and then they're never seen again. Um, but we'll come back to you next week, Jonathan, because no doubt Arsenal will still be in this tight race. They'll not give up. They'll not chuck it in like you. They'll not just settle for fourth like you have. They'll keep going to the end. I have no doubt Brendy Arteta, the Basque Prince, will do it. Um, 
But you go off and enjoy yourself, Jonathan. Uh, we don't want to keep you. And um, we'll behave ourselves when you're away. Promise. We won't. We won't say anything bad or anything. Sorry, were you saying something there? I just I muted you. To be honest, <laughs> I just seen the wee bars going, so I knew somebody was talking. All right, all the George best. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Bye, Jenny. Good luck, Jonathan. Um, so we're at the ball. away. Vegas club. Yeah, Jenny's away. Uh, and Arsenal are going to finish fifth. Um, so we'll we'll move on. We'll talk about uh, the other big game between big four rivals, and then we'll have a bit of Newcastle and, and Spurs or whatever. And we'll obviously have to talk about Liverpool and nine and four. What happened there? Steve, Saturday night, um, Manchester United's performance, obviously as well this week. Uh, the Portuguese manchild decided to make it all against him after United. Uh, Beat Spurs two 0 at Old Trafford during the week. I think it was that was Thursday night, wasn't it? I think maybe or Wednesday night. Mm. Um, so just your thoughts then on this week on direct Ten Hag, how things have been going, and also uh, midfield Casemiro having quite an influence now. Yeah, <clears throat> if you'd have told me United would get five points from from nine against you know in three games in a row against teams above them in the league, I'd probably been happy with it. Um, after the Spurs game, I really felt as if a corner had been turned, and actually, hang on, maybe there, there, there's something kicking here that might be a bit better. But the the just lack of a a, a real finisher um, came home on, on on Saturday evening against Chelsea. They were completely dominant in the first half. Um, really, I was surprised by how negative uh, Chelsea were, considering you know. What Potter has already done to United this season uh, with his with his previous club, um, and it did feel like Chelsea were only going to be a threat from from set pieces, really. And then the second half, just both teams were brutal uh, until the last kind of couple of minutes. And you know, the thing about the penalty is that it it is a penalty, it is a foul, but it's a foul that happens at every corner in every game in the league throughout the year. So why is it only given once? Like that's my issue with it. Like it's just I've no issue with referees taking these decisions, but be consistent with it. Because, you know, if you actually looked in the build ups that the way Chelsea had lined up, um Broha was was pushing McTominay in the chest. Like he pushed him in the chest like six or seven times. If you do that in front of the referee in any situation other than the corner, you get a yellow card for it. I don't understand why at a corner you're allowed to do something that you're not allowed to do in any other phase of playing football. Um, and then I think United big brain themselves uh, over the penalty because you saw Fernandez talking to 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 De Gea um, about where Jorginho was going to go, and you saw the 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 graphic popped up that Jorginho Jorginho has only hit one penalty to that side um, in his last whatever it was ten penalties or whatever. And they went to the side he consistently hits it. Whereas, obviously, if you've had that conversation, he knows that you you know where he's going, so he sticks to the other side. So I thought that was a little bit naive of United. But I thought the goal that United equalised with um, Luke Shaw didn't have a great game, but Jesus, that cross was 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 unbelievable. Um, I don't know who the defender was that he that uh, he jumped over, but. I can't remember. I'm trying to remember who it was. It was one of the wing backs, I think, was it? Um, but like very weak from Chelsea defensively. But what a header! Like I think people were trying to blame Kepa for it, but I honestly think Kepa did brilliantly to get any sort of a touch on it. Um, 
So yeah, like disappointing not to get all three points from the game. I really thought United would, the way they started the first half, I really thought they would get all three points from it. But you know, to play Spurs, Newcastle, and Chelsea in a week and and take points from all three games, especially with the the level of the performance against Spurs in particular, I think you have to be happy with, especially after United, you know, of the last decade or so. You know, you can't not be happy with that. What what um. Just on Chelsea, like, Graham Potter obviously had such a brilliant time with Brighton and a brilliant start with Brighton and Paddy. You can come in here too. Um, do you think he's done? Do you think he's improved Chelsea loads, or do you think it's sort of status quo, sort of with what uh, the squad depth and the strength that Chelsea have as a squad? I think um, again, I didn't actually watch this game. I- because my, um, don't tell the police, but my um, dodgy box expired and I'm in the process of getting a new provider. So I listened to this on the radio while I ironed a stack of clothes that had sat there for a very, very long time. Did 12 items, impressed. Probably Um, probably all Anyway, Potter has made them more solid, definitely. Like, was I kept, I'd kept sort of five clean sheets in a row. And what Steve said, he did an unbelievable job to even touch that Casemiro header. Um, which for Casemiro to get that on target because the, the cross is from a pretty deep position. Um, he had to generate a lot of power himself. Like it was an exceptional, exceptional header. But um, yeah, P- Potter's made them more solid. Um, they're keeping clean sheets. They don't look like they're going to throw in one of those weird performances like Chelsea put, put in earlier in the season against the likes Leeds. Um, I think they're maybe not overly exciting to watch, I would say. Um, but it's clear that... You know, they've got a really, really talented squad. Like, we were talking about Arsenal's bench with JD. Look at Chelsea's bench. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, just to run through a few names on it, like Havertz, you know, Hakim Ziyech, um, Mendy, Pulisic, Kovacic. This, your guy, Zakaria, who you and I watched fairly years ago um, at Windsor Park. And, like, like he is a, a monstrous defensive midfielder. I don't even know if he's played yet for Chelsea. Hasn't. Um, Still hasn't, yeah. Is he this year's soul, Niguez. Um But yeah, Chelsea. Chelsea are good. I'd be shocked if they didn't finish top four. Um, United, you know, I'm sure they would have taken a one-all draw um, going into that game. And the fact that they, you know, from from, from what I un- understand, um, you know, they managed to, to grind, grind something out there. And from listening to the radio, uh, I think it was Jonathan Woodgate was doing like co-commentary, and he was really pr- praising Latoro, um Martin, yeah, Martinez or Lissandro Martinez, sorry, um, to absolute high heavens. He was just like yeah. this guy's body position, his reading of the game. Like it doesn't matter if he's four foot two, he can play some serious <laughs> football. Um, and the fact that we're all not focusing on on his height so much shows that he really has settled in settled in well. It'll be interesting to see now the extent of Varane's injury. You know, he might have to adjust to having a new defensive partner over the next month or so. Yeah. Um she'll probably be I'm, just, I'm assuming it'll be Lindelof. Lindelof. Um so yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the wheels come off at United or if they they have something more substantial there to um to sort of carry on. So I think they've got a favourable run coming up so you know, let's see how we go. But some some reasonable signs there for for United. I um I also listened to it in the radio because I was out. I was actually collecting our dinner. We were having Indian uh, takeaway, and I was out and I had it in the radio. 
and I heard Woodgate talk about him and he mentioned about how he loves him because he's so aggressive and he wants his centre-halves to be aggressive and that is, well that is Martinez, that's like uh, that's what he's all about and um, it's it's a weird one for me because I he wears the football team I hate the most, he plays the football team I hate the most when he puts that shirt on him and lose but I love him too because he's a small man, he's fighting all other big men and I have a lot of respect for that and I have a lot of respect for how aggressive and angry he is um, yeah, because he, he sort of like I, I, like Martinez, like there's from my daily life, there's a lot of similar traits, you know, how aggressive he can be towards people and nasty, and I kind of buy into that. And I think he's, he has been really, really good at times. Um, kamikaze at times too, United, but that seems to have calmed down a little bit. But the, the Varane injury was actually, as I was on the radio coming back uh, with our takeaway, the injury had happened. And my heart sank for him. Like this is so unfair for Rafael Varane. Like he's he's such an outstanding centre half. Really is. Like you forget what he's won when he did at Real Madrid because it's Real Madrid. Sometimes players just get not not that they didn't get lost. Cause he played most of the games, but you just sort of forget that actually he's won four Champions Leagues and he's only so old or so young. Sorry, still. Um, I think he's only touching thirty, which for centre half is is nothing really this day and age. Like Benzema just won his first Ballon d'Or, he's thirty five in in December. But um, felt really sorry for him. It looks like he could possibly miss the World Cup too. Hasn't been confirmed yet, which is just devastating. Like and and it's a weird one this season. Like players, you go, I think you're going to start definitely get it now. Where players are going to be thinking in the next couple of weeks, uh, can I go in that for that fifty fifty or not? Especially ones that are going to be prominent for their countries at World Cups, and then you look at like Diogo Jota, devastated as soon as that happened for him against West Ham the other night. Likewise, obviously Ferran upset coming off because he he knew how bad it was, and you really do feel for him. But yeah, I think to, to go back on my point on Potter, and then to talk about Ten Hag last week, or no, it wasn't even; it was in the group chat. I think when I was trying to wind Steve up by Bruno Fernandez being overrated. Um, and we were talking about, I think we are talking about Ten Hag, and, or maybe you said in last week's pod, how the improvements, and you can see an improvement in United times. Like People are very quick uh, to call, to say sometimes, but, well, they have been about Ten Hag, oh, it's just Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer, what he's doing, because he's counter-attack and then bang. And, but there's more structure to it. You can tell it's been better coached. There's a plan. And even when they keep the ball now, the night against Spurs when I watched back and some of the highlights, um, they get the ball much better and there's a much more of a freshness, a snapness to some of the passing. And but with Potter, I just sort of I know they've had a better defensive record now than what they did have on Tuchel, but you have to remember when Tuchel won the Champions League, Chelsea were the best defence in Europe. They were outstanding. Uh, what I mean is that this squad he has inherited, and I'm not slating Graham Potter, I think he's gonna be brilliant. Um it's really good squad, but I don't see like a vast difference in how they play, and Prince gonna kill me. I kind, of, I kind of find them boring a wee bit at times. Chelsea to watch. Um, I don't know why that is. He just hasn't had a chance to incorporate any of his players that he wants to bring in just yet, or what's going on. But that's kind of the point that I was making. And I don't know if they've definitely improved results rise, but has the football really changed that much? I'm not. 100% sure he's implemented many different things just yet, certainly in the attack and play, or my way off. No, I think that's, that's the vibe I get from it as well. I mean, I'd be interested to see what Paddy thinks as well, but yeah, it feels like 
I mean, it's not like that's how you that's how you build a team, though, isn't it? You shore things up defensively, yeah, yeah, and then that's what Tuchel did when he first came in as well. Like, but I just feel that Chelsea have have the players that you could be a little bit more adventurous than they were. It just felt it just felt like, especially in the second half when Chelsea were when United kind of stopped dominating, um, there was a result there for Chelsea and for them to rely on like. What, you know, the penalty they still don't, don't think should have been a penalty. Um, and then even how they reacted, like it was, it was a strange, like they sat off United when the, the, like that just seemed like naive or something, the way they, they kind of reacted to the, the to, to, to going one nil up. So yeah, like Paddy, what do you think? Like, I think, I think Phil's been really fair there. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I wouldn't, I wouldn't overly um, get excited when I'm watching Chelsea. Um, you know they they have they clearly have a, a sort of defined way of playing. They're not like City where they build loads and loads of pressure all the time. Sometimes they they can vary it a bit, but like Jorginho is just a solid sort of um, what what did uh, Sarri used to call him his, his pendulum or something like that. Um, he kind of does the simple things well. Um, you know the, the, Sterling as well is kind of frustrating player sometimes to watch sometimes you get him and he looks great sometimes he looks absolutely terrible um yeah they seem like they're they're a side that as you're saying is sort of built on a bit of solidity and whenever potter maybe gets some funds and, and a window to maybe sprinkle some stardust on the squad maybe maybe we might see something a little bit more exciting but i suppose you know reese james is such an important player in that side and you know, he's obviously been absent and will be absent for a while. Um, and that's where a lot of the creativity does come from, whether it be him or Chilwell on the other side. So I suppose it does explain maybe why they're looking a little bit more blunt, but maybe it, it's improved their stability, ha- bringing in the likes of his Villaqueta instead. Um, so, yeah, maybe 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 might explain a little bit of it. Yeah, maybe that is possibly what it's down to, but I just I thought we would see a little bit more uh, from Graham Potter, I thought we'd be a wee bit more excited because Brighton were exciting to watch. Uh, like, look what they did on field for God's sake. Oh, well, that was under Zerby, but they're still his team. Like, look what they've done, you know, this season. Look what they did at Old Trafford, start of the season. They're, they're exciting to watch Brighton. And I just kind of thought we would see a bit more of that already with what he has um, at Chelsea. But things are going okay at Chelsea. Anyway. They're steadied and they're in the top four race. They're going to go through the Champions League. Uh, things are going quite well that way, so I suppose Chelsea fans won't really complain too much. But um, I don't know; it's just not what I thought it was going to be just yet. But we'll see. Uh, Paddy, you mentioned uh, about them being blunt. I wanted to hit my face with blunt object at lunchtime on Saturday, uh, repeatedly, up to a hundred times actually. Uh, after putting myself through the pain barrier and watching Liverpool um, slump to one uh, nil defeat. At the city ground against Nottingham Forest, uh, a shambles. Yeah, we fucking suck ass so much. We're awful. <laughs> We're awful to watch. So bad. Um, yeah, like was sort of teasing Jed either about his uh, his pessimism and, and hoping, you know, he sort of would happily sort of take top four. I'd take top fourteen. We look completely <laughs> shocking. Now it, it wasn't helped by the, the team selection. I know I know there's been some injuries. You know we're missing three of the three of the sort of forwards. But you know we 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 had a midfield. Thiago apparently was pulled out quite close to the game. Um, 
and this has happened a lot. I don't know if it's something to do with the sort of sports science or whatever around it that, you know, they're saying, yeah. oh, this player needs rest or whatever. But it's happened a lot this season where important players that were that would have played have had to sit out. And we're getting an absolute shit ton of injuries anyway. So I don't know exactly if this is helping, but it meant we were really, really light in midfield. Of the midfield four, you know, you had Carvalho's 20, Elliot's 19, Jones is 21. So you had three kids playing. And I know they're they're good players in their own right, but they're lightweight. We're used to this kind of th- midfield three over the years of like grown-ups, like Fabinho, Wijnaldum, Henderson, Milner, Thiago, like people who can inject tempo into the game, stand up for themselves and, you know, get on the front foot. We looked so, so blunt on Saturday. Um, and we weren't coming up against world beaters. Like we were coming up against a team that's really been struggling to do much. Um, but we made them look decent. Um, you know, we didn't really fashion much in the way of chances. Like Carvalho had an early chance. He took a really good touch on a very sort of um, over his shoulder. Um, apart from that, you know, it was a couple of times maybe Van Dijk could have gone for a goal instead of heading it back across. But general we're just absolutely shite we're we're bullied we're bullied all over um and i was just crying out like you know when tiago's out you need someone to do something different create something because you know we had milner right back who doesn't have the same creativity as trent and you know we didn't really have we didn't have jota we didn't have diaz with no real pace so you need something different like fucking start trent whether it be right back Flipping left midfield, up front, anywhere. He's a brilliant player. Just start him. Um, I know he's coming back from injury, but Jesus, you know, just fire him in. Even try try him at right midfield. Try something different. Uh, I know it's something we've spoken about before, Philly, is seeing what he might be like in that right of a midfield four. Because um, he, he, he would have a little bit of protection there, especially if Milner's playing behind him. But it's just frustrating to watch. It's absolute shit. Um, and I know if stacks of injuries and with a load of kids in the bench as well but he shouldn't be getting bullied against Forrest it's just fucking grim and Fabinho last thing I was going to mention Fabinho just looks like his his form has just fallen off the face of a cliff like um, I don't know um, what's going on there that's where I was going to come in I was going to come in Fabinho first so he um, he hasn't played well yet this season uh, even the City win he was our the the worst Liverpool player, um, I know they played quite well, very well that game, but he he was still off the pace. He was just a jersey, floating around the wind on Saturday, to be honest, and and, and that's like, <laughs> that's like sixth or seventh game this season, and and I watched last week, we played West Ham, and so so for a little bit of background to what's going, on, me and Paddy always talk for a game, and I spoke to Paddy on Saturday before the teams were released. And I knew, you don't remember this, Paddy, I just had a bad feeling we weren't going to win. Um, just had a funny feeling we weren't going to win. And as soon as I saw the team news and saw that there was no Thiago, no Nunes, I just had a real bad feeling. I was like, we're really going to struggle today. And that's not to say that, like, Nunes only been here for the start of the season. That's not to say Nunes is, is like, peak Torres or anything like that. What I mean like that. I mean, just like, because what he offers in pace wise and chaos, he causes teams. He offers a night ball as well. And the fact Thiago's been doing, he has been doing everything in midfield when he's played. 
Um, this was a massive miss. When we played West Ham last Monday night, for the first 50 odd minutes, we were excellent again. Really, really good. We should have been two or three out of sight. Really good. Hounded West Ham. Pass was brilliant. Everyone was on form. It looked really, really good. It was really, really promising. Following on from the win against Man City, it was really, really promising. Nunes has to go off a hamstring. Thiago goes off to get rested. Uh, and Jones and Fabinho come on. And we completely fall to shit. And Declan Rice takes over the game. And we can't get anywhere near him. It was an unbelievable midfield performance from someone that lost the game in Anfield. It really was one of the most ones I've remembered the last couple of years of a, a losing player at Anfield who who literally controlled the game. He was superb. And you're watching him doing that and you're thinking, I remember Fabinho used to do that. Like He did, he did it last year sometimes. Games. What is going on? His form is so worrying to the point like I don't want to see him in the team. I don't mean not, not on the bench. I don't want to see him starting. I would have settled with, I know this is mad, Henderson uh, and Bajetic, the young 18-year-old, in that midfield on Saturday before I'd have settled on Fabinho and Jones. They're just not going to do it. Jones, just he's only coming back from injury, so, and there is obviously potential there, but it just wasn't the selection. It was really strange from Klopp. And, and again, we don't know. Maybe he's advised that... Henderson can only give me so many minutes because he's, he's still carrying a knock or whatever. I don't know what's going on. Trent's not fit enough yet to start a game, so we can't really go with that in midfield. I don't know, but it just didn't make any sense. As soon as you saw that lineup, you knew, well, if I was a Forest player, I can get at these in midfield and I can really get on top. Check Coyote against Curtis Jones. Get to fuck, like. That's like me against the big show. That's not going to work, like. It's not going to work at all. Like, do you know what I mean? It's literally me fighting Brenton, and there's only going to be one winner, and it's not going. It's not going to be me. That just made no sense. And the fact they didn't change it for ages, um, just sort of like it was just and you, like you were waiting on the Tyo scoring the goal as well for Forrest. That was always going to happen too. But fair play to Forrest. Like, and Forrest didn't play great. They they are shite, and I know they just be Liverpool, but they are going to get relegated very soon. Um. But they, they, Liverpool just were abject. It was really, really strange performance. After the three, two and a half, really good performances. We thought, okay, here we go, a bit better. But I was worried after the changes on Monday night against West Ham. Oh, the other night, sorry, Wednesday night, sorry, against West Ham. I was worried after them, the drop off completely in Liverpool's performance and Liverpool's press and then their front foot and uh, battles in midfield. Completely worried. It's like something isn't right here. And Unless they get a fix soon, it's going to be a long, hard season. And it's still only five points off four, so you, whatever. You take that. I would take that going into the World Cup. Only been five points off four to try and change it. But something not right with Fabinho especially. And it's causing issues in that midfield where you, you can't... Liverpool can't carry anyone in their midfield. They can't. Everybody has to be on it. Or things break down and teams really pick holes. And I don't know what you think, Steve, because you've been a coach. You're able to see things probably better than me. But is it something you're seeing too, or what? What are you? It's it's a really difficult one because you have Klopp coming after the game and he's saying it was you know failure to take advantage of set pieces and it didn't feel like that though. It, it felt like a much no, I didn't feel like deep, that. yeah, it felt like a much deeper problem. I thought one of the things that really surprised me was it was the first time Liverpool have started three players twenty one and under in a game since twenty eighteen. 
like we kind of touched on this last season where there was talk of both Salah and Mane leaving and we said like who's coming behind them and I think that has been this has been a problem in the making for Liverpool for for a little while that you know it only took Fabinho like Fabinho I thought had some really really good games last year this year he's been brutal like every time i've seen him play like i think you describe him as like a shirt in the wind like <laughs> genuinely yeah. anonymous in games but that's the thing not even anonymous actively bad actively causing problems for Liverpool. right if he was just anonymous you like you know like you, you were to mention bruno fernandez earlier bruno fernandez has games like that for united where he's anonymous he never costs them a game um yeah. and i thought that's what that's that's been really interesting from fabinho um but I think I've seen you tweet about it a few times and maybe it's in, been in the group chat as well. I feel like consistently this year, Klopp has got his substitutes wrong as well. He has to brought on. Game. Yeah, it's like whenever people are dominating a game, he makes a substitution that puts the other team on the front foot. And likewise, when, when they're chasing the game, he seems to bring on the wrong players that they need. It's It's been very, very weird. And this might be an injury thing. Look, it, there's no doubt this is as bad an injury crisis as, as Liverpool have probably had in, in Klopp's time. But I mentioned last week that the fact that I felt that Trent had been dropped and Paddy, Dad, Paddy said, like, no, it's probably an injury thing. And maybe you're still right, Paddy, but two games in a row feels like a dropping. Um, and I don't think he's... I don't think he's been as bad... Um, as I like to slag him for, because it's just I know it's something that winds Phil up. Um, I still think he's too. I still think he's too good a player to not have out there, and and maybe it's not at right back. And I will I will die on that hill that it probably isn't at right back. But there are other positions he can play. We know he can play and play well. Um, I I'd have him in my starting eleven. Um, and I I just think there's a. There's a laziness about some of the players, and I I don't say that lightly because obviously they're professionals and you like they're doing a job and stuff like that. But there's a there's a complacency I think is probably a better word than laziness that was never there in the rest of the times of Klopp's time at, at at the club. Um, and I don't know how you coach your way out of that. I genuinely don't know how you coach your way out of that. Um, without making wholesale changes. Um. But I will say one thing. I mean, if if Sadio Mane's estimation in if he wasn't already held in high regard by Liverpool fans before this season, he must feel like one of the greatest players the club has ever had um, this year because seeing the team without him, and uh, you know, I know Paddy slags Salah and, and stuff like that, and you know, I think he went down with a. It, it looked it looked like a bad one at the time, but I haven't heard that since after the game and, and things like that. But you know. He hasn't really been on it this year. Um, I thought he was good in the first half against West Ham. Was the first half? I thought he was good, and I thought he was good against City in in, in patches. But he's really hasn't been, and it's that thing where it feels like he's in, he's in a little bit too narrow. Um, or sorry, he's not in narrow enough. Sorry, that that you, that you as 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 you would like him to be. Um, and I actually not to go back to United for a second, but I'm seeing it with Anthony for United that the the more the closer to the middle of the field he is the more impactful and effective he is and yet you know you keep drifting him out as a pure winger and i don't think that's his position and sometimes i feel like that with salah as well that it's not like he's a back to goal player or anything, even like that but 
I think for Liverpool, I'd just like to see him shaded in a little bit closer to, to the middle of the field. Um, I think you get more joy out of him. But overall, like it's very enjoyable as a Manchester United fan to watch Liverpool play like this. Um, that's 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 ultimately the the, the, the main thing I feel. Um, but it, I'm just raging that because I, I, I confidently predicted that I, you should bet the mortgage on Liverpool losing to West Ham on. Little did I know they were playing a, a relegation threatened team at the weekend. That was the bet to make, obviously, in hindsight. But um yeah, it's 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 slightly it, again, it, I, I still maintain the point last week that getting yourself up for those big games has a downside, and that is the complacency that comes with playing the likes of Nottingham Forest uh, and teams are in the bottom of the league. And I thought that was in full show on on, on Saturday, it was, and it was a really poor game. Like, yeah. like, like, whatever, whatever my feelings about Liverpool, right? They have been an absolute pleasure to watch play football over the last six years or so. Not this year, not this year at all. They are a drag to watch this year. Um, I, other than the results, because it's you know obviously very funny, um, but they have they have not been enjoyable to watch as a neutral. No, it's. But trust me, as a fan, it has been absolutely horrendous. And see, I, I your point on the big games is an interesting one. And and but then I saw them for the first fifty six minutes against West Ham. And I was like, oh no, actually, it's okay. Things are going well, and that's why that's why I kept going back to that point. Those subs and the fact that when Thiago Nunes came off, the drop off completely. There was nothing up front. And there was nothing midfield. Like Thiago, obviously, um, I love him. We adore him, me and Paddy, but he, he has had pretty horrendous luck with injuries. And then Nunes has only been here from for four months. That can't be the key. Like, like, listen, Luis Diaz is a massive miss. Diogo Jaz can be a massive miss too. Don't be wrong. They're they're huge, huge misses, but it can't be such a drop off. You know that that's a wee bit worrying. I don't know what Liverpool are going to have to do something in. In January, anyway, I think that was common knowledge. Like they're going to be hopefully trying to get someone in January. There's some players to come back. Uh, Kanate, Matip, Kaida. Don't think we'll see Jada in this year. Uh, Diaz, players like this here. Young Calvin Ramsey hasn't had a go yet. He keeps getting unlucky with little injuries in Knoxville. I think it's possibly grown pains too. Um, but yeah, it's strange. You you said about, uh, and I remember you saying this about what's coming through at Liverpool. You look at succession plans. Two teams in Champions League final last year, Real Madrid and Liverpool. Um, Liverpool, unbelievable season. Look what they've got coming with the squad. Everybody thinks this team's still got another two, three years in them at the very highest level, blah, blah, blah. Real Madrid go out and sign uh, Tuchemeni. They've got Tuchemeni, Camavinga and Freddy Valverde, which have been building. And now they're heavily linked with Drew Bellingham. You talk about succession. And even Rod- Rodri- Rod- Rodrigo and Vinicius are like, you know, 21 Rodrigo and Vinicius Jr. as well. They've got, um, the, uh, I can't remember his name. Young defender. Doesn't matter anyway, sorry. But, like, if, if they do end up, say, for talk's sake, this is all hands up, but if they do end up with Jude Bellingham, which looks pretty strongly like they're going to, that midfield is a midfield for years to dominate football. Dominate football. Like, whereas Liverpool... And it does feel like they have stood still 
I don't think they've stood still going forward. I think Nunes is going to come really good for Liverpool. I'm really happy with that. But they've looked like they've stood still in the midfield. And, and people will blame FSG for not spending all this year. Blah, blah, blah. But you have to also think about it. Like, Jurgen Klopp also has said himself multiple times that he end up has he has a say in this too of who to go for. And they went for too many, couldn't get him, so they didn't go for anyone. And now they've been left with this in midfield where actually it turns out that Unfortunately, they can't predict it, but Fabinho's form's completely fallen off a cliff where you don't know if he's ever going to get it back to what it is best because it just looks appalling now. Yeah. So See, it's, I don't it's know what to do next. Yeah, it's nearly like they've, they've, they've tried to kind of evolve in stages. Like, it's clear, you know, the same Diaz last January, the same Jota the season before, the same Nunes, the same three players for those four positions in the space of about 12 months. All... Yeah or 12, 18 months, all absolutely fantastic and they'll all be successful. Like, Nunez is raw, really raw, but there's a player in there. And Jota and Diaz being fantastic. So it's clear, I think the front line's in, in good hands. There'll be someone to replace. Firmino probably will go on a free in the summer. I'm sure they've identified someone in the kind of, you know, 20, 20 to 25 age bracket that they think who can play in a similar way. And I'm sure they have a long list uh, of targets for that, so I'm not that worried about the forwards. The no, defense, we know, we know is in good hands. Like you know, Van Dijk, I know he's had critics this season. He's still a fantastic player. Canate is in his early twenties. Gomez is mid mid twenties. Madup's coming towards the end of his cycle. You know, he's thirty thirty one. You know, we might sign a centre half at some stage in the next twelve months. Fullbacks, I'm still confident are excellent. We've got the best keeper arguably in the league, but midfield is like a fucking graveyard at the minute. Like, you know, it's it's boys who are touching thirty. I reckon just, us three could get a game. We could. We could. Like they're either touching thirty or just past it. And then you've got this kind of chasm of ten years and then you have Jones, Elliot, uh Carvalho who are between nineteen and twenty one. In the middle of that you have Keita who's injured all the time. All the time. Like um who is in his sort of prime, and you have, uh, well, Ox is probably 20 or 29 now, but you've Oxley at Chamberlain as well there, like, who never plays and is injured all the time. So you've really got two extremes. There's no one in that kind of sweet spot of, of their prime anymore. Um, you're going to need a wait on some of these younger guys coming through. I think Jones has showed promise early in his career, but totally stagnated. Um, lovely feat. I think he'll thrive at some Premier League club that um, you know, kind of mid-table, um, which I understand is now us. But um, <laughs> Elliot is a phenomenal footballer, and I think he he will have a great Liverpool career. Cavalio needs a bit of time; he can look very lightweight sometimes. We need to go out and sign someone. And as you said, Phil, they obviously identified it's an issue because they tried to get too many. They've, they've waited; they were patient with uh, waiting for Van Dijk as well. But this patience is, could cost us a Champions League spot, which costs us attracting. Bellingham uh, co- might cost us attracting Rice, who you love, you know, and then you're 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 scrapping with whoever's going to finish outside the top four for players. It's just it's worrying and it needs addressed. And even you go you go get Arthur on a short term deal, and he he's hardly got a kick because he's been injured as well. So there's a lot of work needed in that midfield. You you, you probably need at least two midfielders, um, potentially starters. You need to sign an ad to try and go get one in January and go get one in the summer. Who would you want to sign? 
in an ideal world, I'd like Bellingham because you know that's been talked about for ages, and you know the wages might be prohibitive, but like if you want to be the best, go target the best, go get them. Um, you know Dortmund. I don't know what sort of clause if he has a similar kind of clause that Haaland had, where you're not going to have to pay, you know, like you know, 150 million for him. Dortmund seem to be sensible enough about those things, so you might get him for a decent price and have to pay him reasonable wages. Like Bellingham's an option. The likes of Rice can grab a game by the by the scruff of the neck. Um, is is fantastic as well. And then, you know, if you're looking at some other sort of proven Premier League player, I know there was a lot of talk in the summer, and I know he's young, but your guy Moses Caicedo uh, at Brighton, you know, could be an option to bring a bit of energy and bite and pace into that midfield because Fabinho looks like he's, he's stuck in the mud all the time. So, you know, you need something. I know they were linked with, um, you'll remember his name, it's totally escaped me, the guy who... Um, Oh, he'll be on a free in the summer. Is he Austrian or something like that, or German for a f- Leimer? Le- no. uh, Leimer. Yes, Leimer. Um, so he's, I think he's twenty six or twenty seven. You know, if Liverpool and are often very sort of frugal, um, you know, even if he's one of them on a free, like I've seen this kind of stats bomb thing, and he might suit us sort of well enough. Like if you go get him on a free and then pay pay the dough for Bellingham or whatever. Um, and still, you've got Thiago there, who is exceptional. Um, but it needs it needs revolution, not evolution at this stage. Uh, it looks dire in midfield. There's no um, Oh, sorry. I was just going to say there's no release for Bellingham, so you have to pay full whack for him, unfortunately, if you want them. Yeah. We're looking around the back of the couch. <laughs> I, I, I can't I don't think Liverpool are going to sign you but I'm, I'm not I'm out on that one Paddy I think that's, um, that's Guardiola making eyes at him today as well is a bit scary yeah, yeah that's you know you, you know what's coming there we're just like whatever like, Liverpool had their chance maybe to get it and they didn't pull it but it happens but um, one I would really love Liverpool to get and I think we we have missed and, and he's we, he's he's different than this, but we have missed players like Dini Wijnaldum in there and and different things and players like that. I I seriously would be looking at the world situation, possibly what they're doing and possibly they could be heading back to the championship. And I would be trying to get Ruben Neves. He's only twenty five, defensive midfielder. He has a lot of energy, really good pass the ball, really good at set pieces, um, shown he can lead a team as well. Another vocal person, and I bring someone like him in. He isn't the team you build your midfield around, but he can play, you know, and he's not absolutely dog shit at the minute. He's not out of form. That's someone I would bring in, as well as if you wanted to go get like your right night new superstar you were talking about, the likes of Ben and whatever. I'd love Declan Rice. Again, West Ham probably tell us to give them two billion if we went and tried to get Declan Rice. Um, but uh, he is like I'm watching him here tonight in the background. I'm talking to you, and, and like every time I see him now, he's getting better. Like if if he doesn't have an unbelievable World Cup, something's gone wrong for England. But um, yeah, that's right. My my first one would be someone like Ruben Neves in that midfield. We need someone like that, someone we can rely on. Um, you mentioned Abi Kaida, now you've ruined my Monday night. But uh, yeah, it's it's strange, and, and you know what I felt as well, really weird. I know I spoke uh, weeks back. I did that blog piece where. Liverpool were getting on my wick really because um, it's it's worse for me dad's passing as I said before like when Liverpool get beat because usually you can say something to him but 
and he would say something back and whatever but like I felt nothing on Saturday just like you know what you were absolutely shite there and I'd rather be annoyed you know I'd rather actually be annoyed then but um, and I saw some fans today that like, Alison was fouled um, in the lead up but if we'd have got a penalty and stole that then that would have been outrageous because it was not a mission Liverpool deserved anything from that game Force deserved it Liverpool were shite they were offering very little the jersey by the way is actually giving me rickets never wore that jersey ever again I hate it Um but yeah, hopefully they'll bounce back. They can get a draw in Amsterdam at least uh, on Wednesday night. Qualify for the next round of Champions League and relax, um, and just get over the line until the World Cup uh, in Qatar uh, in November. But uh, to move on, because we've talked a lot about Liverpool there as well. Uh, Steve Newcastle, uh, they've crept up into the top four now, and they're going to make a good go of it. And they played quite well yesterday against Tottenham. Yeah, as far as they're poor, though, I think um, that kind of... Spurs are, are quite shit. They really are. Uh, and worth remembering as well that they've played... Like Newcastle and, and Spurs have played a game more than uh, City and Arsenal as well. So in terms of Johnny and his his his, his league title aspirations, like there's, there's, there's massive... Um, there's a massive case that it is a two-horse race at this stage, but yeah, I, uh, Newcastle look—it's really hard to enjoy them, um, yeah, because of everything. Thought they were poor enough against United in, in the draw from from what I saw of the game, um, and they have that in them. Like that's the thing we we saw this in the early kind of stages of the city um, thing. I'm literally just arguing with someone on Twitter about someone. Someone has tweeted like our back five costs five million less than Harry Maguire, our midfield costs six million less than Casemiro, our front three costs five million less than Anthony. But yeah, tell me we've paid our way to success. You have because you can pay a thirty-two year old Kieran Trippier fucking one hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week. Like the like, pretending that money isn't a factor in in Newcastle's turnaround is is kind of incredible. Like. Um, they're also benefiting from what has been, I think we can probably all agree, a relatively weak uh, Premier League season so far. Like I think we've all been so focused on our own teams that if you actually look around, it's been poor enough. Um, it feels like the Leicester winning the title season, um, where lots and lots of teams are kind of are, are, are dropping points. Um, I will say the, th- the thing that Newcastle are tending to do is well they weren't really i suppose if you if you look at this they have a lot of draws against teams. like they should be beating wolves getting the draw against city is great but they should be beating palace they should be even bournemouth you know they, they have a lot of weird results so it's that inconsistency that we we see from new money teams but the fact that they have all those results kind of like poor results and are still sitting fourth in the table um it's kind of wild but like They've only they've only twenty one points out of twelve games. It's not as if it, this is a a dominant Newcastle performance this year. It's just a, a, the fact that everyone around them has been relatively inconsistent as well. But yeah, like I I I can't I can't I can't enjoy their success at all. And just something you mentioned earlier on as well uh, about you know Real Madrid and their success, succession plan and stuff. Let's not forget that Real Madrid and Barcelona are de facto state-owned clubs as well like they were literally found to be receiving illegal state aid from the spanish government yeah so like there there's a consistency here in what Klopp has said about 
about other teams and unfair advantages. And we are. Like, we're living in an era where nation states are owning football teams. And when you can afford payrolls um, that, like, Gulf states in particular, because of the oil money, um, can, it, it, it just gives you an absolutely huge advantage over um over other teams and it's kind of sad like it's kind of sad in a way because like you know newcastle always thought they were a bigger team than they were but they were always a fan base you can kind of enjoy and there was those couple of seasons where you know they ran united relatively close in the league and things like that um in the 90s and stuff so that like if you were to take it take the ownership out of it for a second. If you didn't know who owned Newcastle, you'd be glad that they were doing so well. You'd be glad a team, you know, from that part of the world um, were doing well and, and, and challenging the kind of the, the status quo of the top five or six. And, but I, I don't know any neutral fans who can be enjoying this at all. Like, that's the hard part. Um, and then Eddie Howe as well, just shut, shut up. Like, you know, like you, you can't defend it. So stop trying to defend it by pointing fingers at other teams and how other teams do stuff. Like, just like you've accepted the money now. You've accepted the money from a state that are happy to behead people. You've accepted money from a state that's happy to chop a journalist up into pieces. Like, you can go if you can sleep at night. Fair play to you, but don't try and paint yourself as as the the victim in in, in this. Like when you're clearly not. You you went into this job with your eyes open. And on the football field, if we discuss purely football, I think he's doing a decent job. But it comes down to what I said. This has been a very inconsistent Premier League. Um, and Newcastle are just taking advantage of that. Like, it, I just wish, I just wish they had been poor enough to get relegated last season because that would have been very funny. Um, but sadly, sadly not. I think this is just the start of Newcastle being there or thereabouts um, every, every year with the Premier League. I think um, I think Newcastle finished about seventh or eighth this season. I think it's it's uh, we're in a place where everyone's sort of just trying to find their way to the World Cup and get through it. And I think what will happen is some of their better sides will come through um, towards the end of the season. And I think they'll sorry finish sixth or seventh down there. I don't think they'll finish in Champions League. Um, they've had a decent enough week or two but as you said like they've dropped points at Wolves and different things they haven't looked great in games they're poor at Old Trafford they they one or two chances don't be wrong but they, they offered very little else and they're waiting on Isaac and Sim Maxwell to come back yeah but um, I'm, I'm like you like I used to there were my and dad sort of had a if you want to call it a second favourite team where we used to love Newcastle especially through the 90s especially during the Champions League and the players like Esprit and stuff and Ginola and it's such an exciting side to watch at that time, and we always had kept an eye out for them and and um, different things. And, and and now you just I just want them to lose every football game they play. To be uh, <laughs> like you have to, you have to be a special side for me not want Manchester United to lose a game you're playing. You know you need to be a very special outfit um, for that to be the case. And not saying I want Manchester United to win, just didn't want them. Uh, just didn't want Newcastle to win, but um. It's weird. Do you, I, I find it too. Like I find that a lot of us now that aren't owned by oil states uh, are sort of rooting us together then against the oil states when they're playing, and you can sort of feel that coming uh, yeah, down the line. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, it's um, 
it's it's strange. It's uh, like this Jonathan Wilson had a great piece in the Guardian on Saturday where he talked about the state of football at the minute, and he talked about all like Gulf states owning football clubs and what Klopp said and. Ali, how you go fuck yourself? That I don't. I honestly can't believe that you thought that was a good idea. Um, coming out and trying to to defend uh, and argue against what Klopp said when Klopp had said nothing at all uh, wrong, or and he Man City calling it xenophobic with that as well. Then we had um, Man City fans chanting about Hillsborough last Sunday. Then we had Nottingham Forest fans <laughs> on Saturday chanting about Hillsborough. Who were at the other end? Yeah, that, that, day that at Hillsborough. I think that's so inexcusable. Like, it, there's no excuse to to to, to chant about Hillsborough um, ever, ever. Um, but for Forest fans to do it, like, know your own club's history. Like, for fuck's sake, like, where, yeah. where, like, this is, and I, I'm not not to be all old man shouts at cloud, but this is brought up knowing nothing but FIFA. Like, how do you not know the effect of Nottingham Forest fans in particular chanting about Hillsborough? It's just gross. It's disgusting. It was on a much smaller scale, but Bows were yep. playing in Harps in the League of Ireland. Yes, um, I was going to mention this. Yep. Yeah, and, like, the, the Bows fans were chanting, like, your houses are going to fall down because of, obviously, the, the Mika sc- uh, scandal in, in Donegal where, like, loads of houses were built with defective blocks and people are going to lose their homes and stuff like that. And you just go... Yeah, like Cassidy's. Yeah, like just this, like it's only football. Like you know, we all care about. It. We all like we all enjoy it, right? But it's just football. Nothing, nothing is worth being a dickhead like in in life at all. I don't understand. And United fans are awful for it. Um, like I saw an absolutely disgusting sticker about Sean Cox, um, printed yeah. with my United colours on it at the weekend, and every single United fan I know who who saw it or mentioned it, like, was disgusted by it. But there's a group of people who have grown up keyboard warriors uh, um, who've never had to face the consequences of the things they say. Um, and they just feel like they can say anything. And if you if you challenge them or confront them for it, they'll say, oh, it's just banter. It's just having a laugh or whatever. But it's not it's bullshit. People lost their lives. Sean Cox, you know, his life changed in a moment. It, that's a tragedy. It's not something to be sung about or laughed about or, or made a joke of. Like, it, it should be something that we should all take a moment to say. And like Hillsborough, you know, he just went to a football game and his life changed forever. Like, none of us, we've all gone to football matches and we've all come back, thankfully, you know, in one piece and alive and with our families and stuff like that. But that doesn't happen to everyone. And we, in, like, in what world is it okay to make a joke out of that or a laugh out of that. It's just, it, it, it makes me so angry. It really does. Yeah, I, I don't understand why we tolerate it. Like, because it's football. Why the why there's not more stronger sanctions? Um, Like, as a Liverpool fan, and this isn't just me complaining regarding them because I'm a Liverpool fan, but, like, we're, we really are. We're a target now, it seems to be. Like, and, and ever since, obviously... The club's been successful again on their club. That has risen. This nonsense chanting about Hillsborough and a different thing has risen. And and um, I'm not talking about on social media because every fan base on social media is full of morons. But uh, I really don't. I, I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't like. If you're walking down the street, you're walking down the street. Me and you're walking down the street, Steve. 
uh, say, say we're in Dublin the next couple of weeks or whatever for Babel Outing, and someone starts laughing about the Micah redress and the fact that he's done all the Mayo family's houses have fallen down around them and they aren't getting support and they're left homeless and somebody's singing and chanting about it outside the pub. Like, you're not going to stand there and let them away with. So why why the football organisations let these clubs away from it? And I saw someone say yesterday, like, and I've met people that were at Hillsborough and I've met people who lost family at Hillsborough and different things. And Dad was very good at this. Like, he's part of Spirit of Shankly Group. So we met a lot of people and a lot of close friends. One of them, um, I've forgotten his name, but... When I met him one night before Champions League game and he hasn't stepped foot in the football ground since Hillsborough because we Paul his name's right because he couldn't because he just you know the the trauma was just too much so he came to meet us in a bar in Liverpool and then it got too crowded so you could feel the panic on the wee man's face God love him we had to leave then and that was all me and Dad obviously totally understood it but we got that and we saw the hurt but yeah these fans to think it's an all right thing to chat and then, and then if you if you question as you said well that is the chat about hills but they'll say it's not i'm talking about something else so if you're chatting about something else what are you chatting about oh we're calling these the murderers because of what happened in heisel so you're chatting about people dying in heisel hmm. how do you not think that's fucking wrong do, do you know what i mean like it's it's such a toxic environment and it, i don't know what it's like in in other European countries, I don't know what well, I don't know. Honestly. We've saw things happen, obviously, but I don't know if fan bases do the same horrible shit. Like, but as a Liverpool fan, to see it and hear it all the time, like you just think. And I saw someone say this the other day, and they're part of uh, one of the fan groups. We should start just cutting away allocations, like giving clubs a hundred tickets, which I see to a point. But then you're taking away a match day experience from an away fan that isn't going to go and say this. You, you don't know how you police that. But yeah. It's going to come to a point now where Liverpool's football club are going to have to do something. And the fact Man City, right, and, I'll, and I'll, this is where I'll finish up on this because I know I've talked a lot tonight. Maybe Paddy won't say something, I don't know. But the fact Man City haven't probably come out and apologised for it. And then they sent that ball bastard up on front of the press conference last week. And he said, if it happened, when you could hear it very loud and clear, Pep, what was happening like? You could hear very loud and clear what was happening. And I understand Pep's very frustrated because obviously he was getting probably some abuse off uh, Liverpool fans. It didn't, uh, and there was no word to say it was horrendous abuse, but you know, probably slagging. There was people that threw coins stuff. Don't be doing that either. That's moronic behaviour. People threw things. So I understand where he's come from. He probably he probably despised Liverpool. But to come up and say that if it happens, like the PR spin these Gulf states have at their club is absolutely wild. Wild. You'd Phil Mickelson, not to change tactic, and I'm off a bit around here. Phil Mickelson come out in a press conference last week and said that he never had that interview with Alan Shipnock. That that interview that almost got him, let's be honest, probably killed by the Saudis, never mm. happened, despite it being recorded. No, it never happened. That's how Deny, deny, deny. What did you say, sorry? Deny, deny, deny. That's the. Deny, deny, deny. Yeah. It's 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 daft. Like football is at a real shitty point, and I'm not just using. I'm not just talking about Liverpool and Hillsborough. It is just at a real shitty point with Gulf states doing this with a World Cup in Qatar that we all feel really odd, awkward, and shitty about. Let's be honest. Like you do, even if you want to watch it, and and I will watch it. And you want to think there is part of you like I don't know what you like part of this party. We thinking, mm, this just feels off. Do you know what I mean? You shouldn't feel that at a World Cup. 
It's just in yeah. a real weird place. I don't know what it does. The transfers, mad fees. You've an agent coming out next or last week's been so happy because your players could be cost a billion pounds soon. That is completely wrong. The whole thing needs rubbed out and started again. But um, yeah, I, the fan behaviour and the abusive behaviour. It, it's going to come to a point where it's, it's going to snap Liverpool fan base, Liverpool football into doing something, and it might just be then that away fans, you're not welcome. We mightn't travel the games either. Um. There might be a thing coming up. I don't know, but uh, it's really disappointing. Yeah, I think you guys summed it up really well. Um, you know, it's absolutely unacceptable behaviour, and it seems to be increasing, probably fueled by, as Steve touched on, just this like bubble of social media where people think that they can get away with anything because it's this sort of faceless bullshit where, you know, they don't really, there's no real kind of punishment or, or anything like that. Um, and it's it fuels this... Uh, I, th- I think it's a younger generation of fans who maybe aren't educated in terms of some of the history around things that have happened, just coming out with all this shite, and it's not a laugh. Like you know, uh, as you were saying, people's people's lives were were lost, or people's lives were changed irreparably, um, and it's, it's just not right. And football is something. Football, like I like other sports too, and, and I watch rugby, and you know. Rugby fans do behave better. There's absolutely no question about it. There, there's there's not the same um, abuse and all those things. And fans sit together, and it's absolutely wonderful. Don't get me wrong. There's not the same edge there is in football. And football, I think football should sort of cherish and harness the edge it has in a competitive, good-spirited way, you know, of, of, of fans kind of, you know, trying to chant louder than each other or a wee bit of light slagging. But, you know, there has to be a line with with everything. Um, and I think it's important just that that's maybe placed better, whether it be, you know, sort of more visible sort of campaigns, whether it be people coming out, you know, players coming out and speaking against it, managers being more vocal about it, um, or sort of, you know, more kind of um, more stewards around or something like that, or more more um, CCTV and audio around um, around fans. But yeah, so, something has to change because it's, it's clearly not right. But um, I think... Uh, football in terms of atmosphere and things is there's no other sport any anything like it when when it's when it's good um and just hope we can we can either sort of improve it or or just um make it good again there's definitely a very clear line like we we're you know for the most part fans of different clubs i know exactly to which point i can slag liverpool and 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 arsenal and chelsea and I know at which point it stops being slagging and it starts being a dickhead move. Like, you know, there's there's very clear lines. And and maybe it's an age thing, Paddy. Like maybe you're right. And maybe, you know, I was I was alive for for Hillsborough and Heisel and you know, as uh, you know, Munich was a much felt like a much bigger thing in Manchester United history previously uh, than it than it does now. So all of that stuff was was kind of not fresh because obviously Munich happened years and years and years before I was born, but like there's such an Irish kind of aspect to that as well. And and I think it, it just feels like now it's like, it's again, like the, like I grew up watching South Park and, and, and things like that. And one of the things that like, you know, they, they used to have this thing that either everything was okay to laugh at or, or, or nothing is. And I think there are so many people of a kind of, of a certain age who, who see that as a life model. And actually it's not true because 
there are groups, there are there are topics that you shouldn't talk about, and there are things that you shouldn't bring into to like conversation. And it does. I I think British and Irish football is almost unique in terms of the away allocation. Um. And even like in other sports, like in 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 American football and stuff like that, away fans, with relatively few exceptions, tell, tend to be in the vast, vast, vast minority. Um, so I think, I think, you know, for the sake of not hearing those things, but then again, like you say, there's a hundred fans at a game, away fans. Who's to say there aren't a hundred arseholes? You know, like how much can you police it, and how much can you try education? Um, that's that's difficult. I I I just think that we this thing of Pep, like oh, if they sang it and stuff like that, like he heard it, he absolutely heard it. Like this isn't a dodgy penalty decision where you go, oh, I didn't see it. This is a chance for him to turn around and say, you know what, this is uncalled for, and the people responsible should never come to a football match in the stadium again. Like that's how you that's how you kind of police it. I think. Um, I, I think that would be a much. I think managers have a certain amount of responsibility, of, like very, very much responsibility, um, to 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 clamp down on their own fans. Like, um, it. I think that would be a refreshing change. And you're right, Paddy. Like about rugby and GAA is the same. Like as well. Like you know, you have fans mixing all the time with very, very, very yeah. little. Um, negative interaction. Yeah, there's light slagging and stuff like that, but you don't have... There's much more violence on a rugby and GAA pitch than there ever is in the stands, you know? Um, so I, I just think it's... There are definitely lessons to be learned from other sports there, but yeah, it all comes down to this idea that you can say what you want and there are no repercussions when, you know, it was always you had the right to say what you wanted, but there could be repercussions for, for it. Like It's just we've forgotten the second bit. Yeah, I think um... even like um, I remember, and Phil will have this exact same um, experience. Growing up as a Liverpool fan in the nineties and early two thousands, I used to dread going into school every Monday morning because I knew I was going to get slagged mm-hmm. massively if Liverpool had lost against Coventry or Wimbledon or whoever mm-hmm. the frig beat them that week. So you got slagged from like you know quarter to nine on Monday morning until lunchtime on Monday afternoon. That was it. And then now kids are just like probably slagged, you know anytime they're awake, whether it be, you know, playing PlayStation, FIFA, someone in their ear, their mates on Instagram, slagging them, you know, you know, they're just getting constantly abused. And I, th- I think it's just like fuel this like hate in young people now where they just think they need to slag everyone, create gifts and memes and all this bullshit. Yeah, it's like I sort of worry for and huge. You're going to either way. I sort of worry for like uh, Finn's generation, Teddy's generation, Miles' generation coming up. Like, what what are they going to experience? Because obviously, kids even these days are a bit older. Even ones that we used to coach, we would have been like trying to get ready to speak to parents and stuff to make sure things were on social media were being sort of looked after and different things because you you didn't know what was coming down. And you're right, like you can get um, <laughs> you can get tortured more than hoon a night on the thing unless you. Which I might actually start doing is, um, was it somebody said on the radio earlier, um, plug in and plug out or something, jump in, po- post and plug out, and that's what it was. But um, that was a good little chat towards the end there, lads. Just a little bit of breaking news on the Babel. Well, not on the Babel. I'm not breaking the news to the world. It's broke. 
uh, on other websites, but here you go. Uh, you'll know this by now by the time you hear this. Uh, Unai Emery is back in the Premier League, boys. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> he's the new Aston Villa manager. Good evening, Unai. Tell you what, he's a good coach. Uh, wh- he is yeah. a good coach. Welcome back. He, he is a good coach. Um, I'll never forget that Europa League final with Sevilla when he absolutely handed Klopp his hoop. Um, but yeah, he's back. Hopefully, hopefully Aston Villa play Arsenal soon. He gets a big win there. But um, <laughs> yeah, he's back. Gerard gone. Uh, we'll maybe have to talk about that during the World Cup. We'll do a breakdown of moments of the season so far. But uh, um, yeah, there you go. Unai is back in the Premier League. I'll finish off this pod this week. Um, I have something written, and he's sort of tweak it. So I don't know when I'll get that out. I will try and get that out this week. It's not going to be winners or losers. Uh, just this week. Uh, so hopefully you get that out. Uh, you'll get this podcast across all your podcast apps. Just look for the Football Bible Pod. Get us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, Football Bible Pod. You'll find us. Um, get us on Patreon, Patreon dot Patreon forward slash I don't know Football dot com. Think it's something like that. You'll find us anyway. Um, but yeah, thanks to everyone for listening and getting involved. And uh, hopefully all your teams, unless you're a big fan, lose yeah. this week. Uh, that'd be really nice. And good luck. Bye. That electric moment when a ball hits the back of the net. Unbelievable game. Two great teams going at it. Compared to the other three beside him, he just looks like the new Cafu or something. We are making a documentary about how shit our club is. (laughs) VR is bullshit. Who is the biggest cheater in football tonight? Harry Kane, without a fucking doubt. Without a fucking doubt. <laughs>